The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. You would turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to continue our series of lessons on the Christian life. We're talking uh, most recently about uh, the believer's disposition toward doctrine. Of course, we spent, we spent several, several weeks uh, discussing the distinctive calls that the believer has from God. And then we, we looked at um, doctrine, and we took several, several uh, actually, a few months to look into the doctrine of the believer and all the many facets and and uh, components of our doctrine of what constitutes doctrine and things such as that. And then most recently, we started uh, looking at the believer's disposition toward doctrine or our attitude about doctrine. Um, doctrine is, as we have stated before, what what is doctrine? Teaching. That's right. Teaching is doctrine. So there are many forms of doctrine in the world. uh, And there are many different doctrines in the world. And we must be careful and we must make sure that the doctrine that we are following, the doctrine that we accept, is true doctrine. It's true in accordance with the word of God, not the opinion of man, not the not the, the, the feeling of man, but the, the unchanging, inerrant word of God. That's where our doctrine must come from. And it must agree, and even the most minute facet, it must agree with the word of God. Otherwise, it's simply the teaching of man. And it's worthless to us as a believer. Now, understand there are many principles you may learn from, from other people. Uh, I think of men such as, uh, Brother Gary, he's not in here right now, he's out hiding in the hallway. But uh, I think of men such as Brother Gary, and I've, I've gleaned from his philosophies in my life, and I've learned a lot of things, but, uh, and others of you, uh, men like such as Tom, I think about Tom, and uh, Tom and Pauline were the very first people to visit us when we moved to California, it was Tom and Pauline. They came with Elizabeth and Margaret, and they came to our house, and and, and met with us and brought us some uh, some local goodies and things such as that. And I've, I've, I've leaned on Tom many times over the years, and I looked to him many times. So you understand, I'm not saying that none of the believers around you have anything of, of, of no value for you. You can learn many things from other believers. But when it comes to spiritual truth, there's only one source, only one, and that is the Word of God. So that's where we must go. So, our attitude toward doctrine. I've given us three things so far. I said we were to receive good doctrine, we are to obey sound doctrine, and we're to continue in true doctrine. But now today I'd like to look at the fourth point uh, in this sub-series of our series, and that is this. We are to be steadfast in our doctrine. We're to be steadfast. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 14, Paul states that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man 
and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Paul warned us about, about the slight of men, about how men will manipulate you if you're not careful, how men will, will lie to you and will convince you of things that are not true. Um, now, the definition of steadfast is to be marked by firm determination or resolution, not shakable. So to be steadfast would imply being immovable. And you and I, when it comes to doctrine, we are to be immovable. Uh, no one should be able to uproot us and shake us from our faith because our faith is founded upon the unchanging word of God. Our doctrine is the same that was taught by uh, John the Baptist in the Jordan River, and it's been the same from that day till this, and we are unshaken in our faith. We are, un, we are immovable in our doctrine. First um, Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, when I think of something being steadfast, I think of a mighty tree. I want you to think about that for a moment today. Uh, and this is, by the way, the same analogy that David used in Psalms, in Psalm 1. We read in Psalm, chapter, Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Now, verse 3 says this, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Of course, there are three attributes to this blessed man uh, that David mentions in Psalm 1, that, that we should all seek uh, to have in our lives. Uh, let me you share those three with you real quickly. First, David says he seeks godly counsel. He seeks godly counsel. In Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 14, we read, Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Now, it's a, it's, a, it's a foregone fact, it's, it's, it's a conclusion that in our lives we are going to need counsel. We're going to need advice. No man knows everything, right? And so at some point in time, you're going to have to seek out counsel in your life. And it doesn't mer really matter how old you are. You may be up in years and you may be sitting here thinking, well, I don't need to seek counsel from anyone because I've got enough life experience. I've been around long enough and... Uh, to that I say, baloney. Uh, you still need counsel. I don't care how old you are. You still need advice. Uh, we're all going to encounter, and if nothing else, we need advice from the Word of God. Amen? Uh, I mean, we all need advice. And the blessed man, according to David, he, he, he walks in, uh, not in the counsel of the ungodly. He, he seeks godly counsel. And, and Solomon stated that there's no safety uh, outside of counselors. You're you're, you're subject to error. You're subject to failure. Um, but we need to be careful from whom we receive that counsel. 
So we don't just go out there and seek advice from anybody. We've got we to be careful about who we seek advice from. Um, and so we have to be careful with that. Proverbs 14, 12, uh, Dave, uh, Solomon writes, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Uh, you know, if you, if, you, if you listen to the counsel of men on the television set, such as Dr. Phil and men like that, uh, you're not going to get very sound counsel. You might get socially correct counsel. You might get the popular opinion counsel. But you're not going to get good, solid counsel from anyone other than the Lord and his word. And we must, we must seek counsel uh, from men who will counsel us in, in the word of God. But there's a second attribute about this man, and the second attribute is this. He keeps good company. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Uh, a, a, a wise man keeps good company. In Titus chapter 3, we read in verses 10 and 11, a man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. So we need to, we need to make sure that we're not, uh, we're not lending our, ourselves to the wrong crowd. Um, I mean, Consider your workplace, for instance. You work with people, and I'm sure they're probably, by, by human standards, good people. And they're, they're reputable people. And you, you enjoy their company at work. Uh, but does that mean you should socialize with them away from work? That you should keep their company outside of the necessary parameters that, that, that you do? Well, you have to be careful about that. Uh, where I work, we... The, the people often have little get-togethers after work. We had a, just Thursday, we had a young lady who, who, who left employment, and everybody came up and said, hey, we're meeting together at such and such a place after work. Would you like to join us? And I said, look, you know, I'm sorry, but I don't go to places like that. And you go have a good time, I'm, I'm, it's fine, but I'm not going to be joining you. And I went to her and I explained to her, look, I got nothing against you personally. I like you. You're a nice girl, but I don't socialize that way. So, and she understood. She knows me. She knows my testimony. Uh, everybody that I work with knows my testimony. And uh, so, but you have to be careful about keeping company with the wrong crowd. And, and we have to be careful about that. Scripture is very clear on that. But then let me just say this. By the way, the wrong crowd is not always the world. Did you hear what I said? The wrong crowd is not always unsaved people. You say, whoa, what are you talking about? Well, let's look at it. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Sad to say, there are many who name the name of Christ who are careless with their testimony. Who are careless with their, with their walk. Now, this carelessness may come from being not taught. This carelessness may come from being selfish, uh, being self-centered. But we have to be careful. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and let's look at verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother. Okay, there's the key words. 
If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. Now, I, I, I have to state here, we don't, we don't treat these people unkindly. We don't talk about them behind their back. We don't gossip to other Christians about them. If you, if you know someone who's called a brother who has these kind of issues in his life, you, you pray and fast for that brother. You ask God to, to help you be a comfort and to be an example to that brother. But don't talk, bad, don't talk ill of them. Don't criticize them. Don't, don't mistreat them. Now, don't, don't associate with them more than, more than in fellowship in the church and in things such as that. So the wrong crowd may not necessarily be the unsaved people. Now let me just be an encouragement here. Do you want to be that kind of Christian? Think about it for a moment. Ask yourself, do I want to be the type of Christian that no other Christian would want to associate with because I'm so careless with my personal testimony? Now, certainly, these are feet of clay, and I fail often. And if you don't believe me, just go talk to my wife. She'll give you a long list of my shortcomings. And as I said when I was preaching the other day, she's called me out on every mistake I've ever made. And I've never called her out on the one she's made, but she's called me out on every one that I've made. And uh, someone asked me at work one day, how did you stay married 35 years? And I said, because my wife's always right. And uh, so I, I, we've, we've got that straight. But you, you don't want to be that kind of believer. You don't want to be that type of Christian. I'm sure you don't. So let's discipline ourselves. And, and, but but a, a wise man keeps good company. Then thirdly, he maintains gracious communications. He maintains gracious communications. Blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the seat of scorners, nor, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Blessed is a man that standeth not in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. We have, we, we have gracious, maintain gracious communications. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now, we have to qualify what is corrupt communication. And as I just stated a few moments ago, corrupt communication uh, can be anything that harms another person, that hurts another person, whether they be a believer or not. There's a right way to criticize people. There's a right way to criticize um, behavior. But we have to be careful. Uh, we've become far too comfortable in America with criticism. We criticize way too easily. And we need to be careful about that. People, uh, ever, it really it started back, some of you are too young to know, remember this, but it started all the way back at Watergate when we became super critical of political leaders and things such as that. And from, from that time period till now, it's escalated 
to the point where we have no more shame when it comes to criticizing people. Um, I remember growing up, we used to sit at the dinner table, and if the conversation ever, ever started to turn toward a person, my father would stop it immediately. He'd say, stop right there. We are not going to talk about other people. You tell me how your day went. You tell me what you got in trouble for. You tell me what you need to do right. But don't, don't talk about people that aren't sitting around this table. And we never did. Growing up, we were not allowed to do that. My father would not allow us to do that. But we've become so complacent in America. We've become so comfortable with talking about people. Can I just say, ask you a question? Who accuses the brethren? Who does that? Satan. Satan's the accuser of the brethren. Do you want to take on a task that's assigned to Satan? You know, there's always something good to say about a person. Always. Find that. By the way, don't criticize other believers in front of your children. Because one day your child might need that person. And if they've developed a bad attitude toward that person because you've criticized them, they may go to someone else who will not be good for them. Build up God's people in the eyes of your children. Build up God's people in your own eyes. Uh, just, just don't do that. Gracious communication. David states that this blessed man finds delight in God's word. In fact, he further states that God's word consumes this man. This is evident by the statement that he made in which he said, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And the results of all this is a steadfast faith in Christ. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of the water. Now, this is, this is the focus of my lesson today. Uh, being like a tree for Christ. Uh, so with the time I have remaining this morning, uh, which is about 20 minutes, uh, let me share a few thoughts with you concerning being steadfast in our doctrine. Number one, we must be rooted spiritually. We must be rooted spiritually. And he shall be like a tree planted, David said in Psalm 1-3. He shall be like a tree planted. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, Paul writes, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. We are to be rooted spiritually. Uh, think about a tree for a moment. There are many different root systems for a tree. I don't know if you're an arborist or not, but... Um, there are a lot of different root systems for a tree. Take the mighty redwoods here for, in California, for instance. You look at how tall that redwood tree is, and you can, you can rest assured that at least half the height of that tree is the taproot. It's at least half as tall as the tree itself. That root goes straight down into the ground, deep, deep, deep. And then off of that taproot, there are many root structures that branch off to add stability to that tree. Down south, where I'm from, we have mighty oak trees. And an oak tree doesn't get to be super tall, but they're, they're big. They're, they're, they're large in, in diameter. 
And the thing about an oak tree's roots, they don't go super deep into the ground, but they extend out past the diameter of the tree itself. So if you're looking at a, at a 25-foot tall uh, oak tree, those roots probably go out 30 or 40 feet under the ground. They, they go under the ground and they grow. Matter of fact, every now and then you'll see one of them shoot up out of the ground and go back down. And if you've been around oak trees, especially like I was growing up and you're mowing the lawn, you're not happy because every, every 30 feet you're hitting a, a root sticking up out of the ground and your dad's over there fussing at you because he's got to be filing the, the, the mower blade. And, and that, but the thing about an oak tree is it's, it's almost impossible to bring it down. Because for it to fall over, it's got such a stable base. So, they're different structures. Now, the trees that you see fall all the time, they don't have solid root structures. They're trees that have no tap root, and their, their, their base roots don't go out very far. So, a strong wind will topple them and blow them right over. And, and so, we have, to, we have to understand that. The same is true concerning our spiritual life. Uh, our spiritual roots determine our stability as a Christian. This is why cults have such a large turnover of people. This is why cults can't keep people, because they're not rooted. They're not, they're not established, because their doctrine changes every time the wind blows. I mean, the Roman Catholic Church, I remember growing up, since I've been a boy, they've changed their doctrinal status in their doctrinal positions a half dozen times. And, and people have no stability because there's no, there's no root. And, and so our spiritual life depends on, on how rooted we are. Without any truth, without roots in their theology, they cannot ground their people. They become vulnerable to, to any false teaching they hear. Their faith is, is toppled by the least wind of doctrine. That blows by. This is why in our church here at Berea, we place so much emphasis on our doctrine. You may, get, you may get tired at times of sitting in the pew and hearing pastor talk about doctrine. But this is our strength. Our doctrine is what, is what, is what helps us to succeed for Christ. And this is why it's so important. It's important that we understand our heritage as Baptists and know what we believe. Like a mighty oak tree or a majestic California redwood, our strength as Christians rests upon the roots of our theology. And my friend, let me tell you, our, our theological roots run deep. They run all the way back to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So we, we have to understand that. And if our roots are corrupted, we will have no strength and we'll be vulnerable to the same winds as the cultists. So first, we must be rooted spiritually. But then secondly, we must be replenished divinely. David said he's like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Now, you don't see many trees in the desert, do you? You see cactus, and you might see sagebrush. But in the middle of a desert, you don't see a, a California redwood growing. Or a mighty oak tree. Why? 
Because these trees require what? Water. They have to have water. Water is the life of the tree. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. And that's some pretty good stuff right there to lay aside, to get rid of. Let, go there and look at it. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter, I'm going to have to get back to building a PowerPoint for Sunday school. I think we need to look at these verses, not just hear them. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter gives us a wonderful list of things we ought to get rid of in our lives. He says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. As I said, those are good things to get rid of. Then he says in verse 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Peter tells us that we should not possess malice, which is spitefulness. We should not possess guile, which is trickery. Or hypocrisy, which is pretense. Or envy, which is jealousy. Or evil speaking, which is backbiting, and whisperings, and innuendos, and false charges. Instead, he tells us that we are to be like newborn babes. Now, newborn babies do not possess the characteristics we just discussed, do they? Newborn babies are not envious. They're not, they, they have no malice. They have no guile. They don't speak evil. They don't speak at all. And if we are, if we are saved, then we are born anew. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Behold, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And as, as, as born-again believers, we used to do those things, but we're not to do them anymore. We're to, our life is to change. We're to, be, we're to be replenished by the Spirit through the water of the Word which, which dwells in us. As babes in Christ, we must be nourished regularly if we are to grow in Him. And this nourishment is a daily dose of God's word. You know, an interesting thing about newborn babes? They eat all the time, don't they? Hmm? Constantly. I used, to, I used to ask myself, where does all that food go? And then it was time to change the diaper, and I said, oh, there it is. But children eat all the time. They need to, they need to eat often and a lot to be nourished. And as believers, we too need to, need to eat a lot. Now, some of us, like me, do eat a lot, um, more than I should of food, but this is what I'm talking about we need to eat a lot of. The Word of God. We need to spend time in the Word of God. How much time do you spend in the Bible in a week? How much time? Don't answer that, but to yourself answer that. I'm, I'm afraid that for most believers... They, don't, they, they bring their Bible to church on Sunday and they open it when the pastor... Then the rest of the week it sits on a shelf somewhere. It sits on a coffee table. And it's never opened. And, oh, they, they think about God throughout the day maybe. And, and they might even speak to the Lord a little bit. But no disciplined time sitting in the Bible and studying. 
asking the Holy Spirit to teach you the truth of God. See, that's where, we, that's where we're going to gain our strength as believers. If, 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 all you, if all you do is come to church on Sunday and sit in the pew and listen to the pastor's preaching, that's wonderful, that's good, keep doing it, but, that's not, you, but your, your, your growth is going to be stunted. How often do you eat? You eat every day, right? As often as you can, right? And yet, when it comes to our spiritual nourishment, we're satisfied with one little bitty serving per week. And, and that's not going to help you grow spiritually. In fact, you're going to be malnourished as a believer. And you're going to be susceptible to anything somebody tells you. You'll fall into false teaching that way. You, 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 you're anemic, you're weak spiritually, and we need, to, we need to, to be replenished. And we do that through the word of God. In Hebrews chapter 2, we read, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? How shall we escape the false teaching of this world, how shall we escape our own flesh if we neglect? If we neglect to study, if we neglect to nourish ourselves on the word of God. So we're, we're rooted spiritually. We are replenished divinely. But then thirdly this morning, we must reproduce abundantly. Concerning that tree, David writes, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. David said that we shall bring forth fruit in season. Now, fruit here is, is not just talking about going out and winning people to Christ, of course. That, that is a part of the fruit that we are to, to produce as believers. He's also talking about the fruits of our life. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance. These, these fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. We're to have a spiritual life. We're to have a Spirit-filled life. And we're to be healthy. And our life is to bring forth all of these, these, these attributes and characteristics. We are to have a fruitful life. All believers will bring forth fruit. Some good, some, some not so good. But all believers produce fruit. In Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6, the psalmist writes, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come again uh, with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. So we're to have a, 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 a fruitful life. We're to, we're to labor. Uh, we're, to, we're to strive to... To, to have a, a disciplined life and, and bring forth that, that fruit. I love fruit. I don't know about you. I, I love fruit. I love, I love oranges. I love apples. I love peaches. Oh, I love peaches. A good jar of peach with some cream. And not, not this weak cream, this heavy cream. Oh, yeah. And, oh, I could eat a I could eat a nice bowl of those. I remember when I was a boy, a, a truck would come by selling Georgia peaches. My daddy would buy a big bushel full of Georgia peaches. And we'd have every night 
we'd have peaches and cream. And I love fruit. I love strawberries. I love strawberries. Is it a fruit? Uh, I think it is. It's, I, I don't know. I, it's a berry, but I love strawberries. Huh? Oh, man. I love an apple pie. Remember Claude? Claude McGlade? He used to, he used to make me an apple pie every now and then. And that man could make an apple pie. Boy, he could bake an apple pie. You know, God loves fruit, too. You know that? God loves fruit, and he loves fruit in our lives. He loves, he loves our life when it, when it brings forth the fruits of repentance. He loves our life when it brings forth the fruits of, of a spiritual life. So we're to, we're to reproduce. Yes, we're to be soul winners. Yes, we're to go out and, into the highways and, and hedges, and we're to, we're to compel men to come, and we're to go into the, into the harvest field, which is ripe on the harvest, and we're to go into that, and we're to bring forth uh, fresh fruit for the, for the house of the Lord, yes, but we are also to produce fruit in our own lives. I've known, uh, over the years, listen, I've known believers over the years who emphasize, put so much emphasis on soul winning, but virtually no emphasis on their own personal life. And, and they felt justified. They, they felt justified in, in living a careless life because they were disciplined in outreach, and that's wonderful. Some of us need more discipline in outreach. But we must not neglect. Remember, remember the story when Jesus walked up to the fig tree and he wanted, he wanted and, and there was, it was barren. There was no fruit on it. Remember that? How many of you remember that story? He cursed the tree and it withered and died. You know what? I don't want to be, I don't want to be that fig tree. I don't want to be that victory that when the Lord comes to me and looks at my personal life, he finds no fruit. So let's, let's make sure we're living our lives to the glory of God. We're striving to produce those fruits in our life that are so necessary. So we're rooted spiritually. We are replenished divinely. We re- reproduce abundantly, but then fourthly and last... We shall prosper continually. When we are steadfast, we will prosper. We shall prosper continually. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now, don't, don't misquote me here. I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel. I'm not, I'm not talking about, oh, if you get saved, God's going to make you rich, and he's going to give you everything you ever want. You know, um, prospering doesn't necessarily mean materialistically. Uh, think about the think for a moment about the the beggar at, at at Lazarus' table. Remember that story of the beggar at Lazarus' table. He didn't prosper much materially, did he? He was crippled. He was a beggar. He was homeless. He was sitting there begging scraps of food off the table. But I tell you, he was in eternity with Abraham and he was prospered in every way. You see, we, we equate prosperity, we equate, we equate success to what we have materially here on earth. But that's not, that's not necessarily true, is it? God prospers us in, 
in all different ways, and we don't even realize it because it's not what we want. We, we, we want the material things that we want, and we don't deem God as righteous or fair unless we get. And, and, and by the way, we better be careful about telling God, give me what I deserve. Because if God gave me what I deserve, I'd burn in hell. And anything short of that is a blessing. And is to be received with joy from the Father. Listen, if God, if God has seen fit to, to give you finances and material things, then praise his name, but worship him. Use, them, use all those blessings for, for his purposes. And if you're here this morning and God hasn't seen fit to give you all those things, rejoice in the Lord and be glad and thankful for God watches over you and he gives you everything you need. And he prospers you as much as he prospers the wealthy. He prospers all of us in his word. And we're to, we're to understand that. Whatsoever we do shall prosper. Maybe not on this earth, but in eternity to come. So we, we're, we're conquerors. Romans 8, chapter 8 tells us we're, we're more than conquerors through him that has loved us. We're, we're not under our circumstances. We prosper in spite of our circumstances. And in this, God is glorified before all men. In Psalm 46 in verse 10, we read, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Oh yes, fall and winter come. And for a short time, take the abundance of life from the tree. But then the spring comes, and with it life and health is restored to the tree. And so it is with the believer. In Psalm chapter 30, verses 4 through 6, we read, Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. For his anger endureth but a moment, and his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And in my prosperity I said, I shall never be moved. You may not be, you may not be rich in possessions today. Your bank accounts may not be overflowing with money. You might drive a car that's on its last leg. I've been there. I've, I've, I've driven automobiles. I pulled in the back parking lot and it stayed there for three days because I couldn't get it started again. Hmm? You may not live in a mansion. You may be like me this, this last week. Uh, my water pipes under the sink burst and I had water everywhere. I had to turn the water off and spent my weekend playing like I'm a plumber. We may, we may not be rich in, in, in worldly possessions. But we are rich in the love of God. We are rich in the love of each other. In, in, the, in the brethren that we have, the fellowship we have. We are rich in our service for God. And besides all of that, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. In that bright land, 
where I'll never grow old. And someday yonder, I will never more wander, but walk the streets as pure as gold. Are you rich today? Has God prospered you today? Then live like it. Then live like it. Live like children of God. Live like the man that will live forever in, in heaven, that has a mansion being built for him now, that, that will, will walk on streets of gold, that will forever look upon the face of the Lord, that will live without, without, without end, that will never want, that will never hurt, that will never fear, that will never weep. If, if, if you get nothing, if you get nothing, from now to the day you die on this earth, you are still richer than the richest man on the earth. And we are prosperous. And we have nothing to be sorry about. We have nothing to fear. And everything to praise God for. All right, folks, that's it. That's all the time I have. Thank you for being here today. And you are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.